0: What's going on and welcome into a Thanksgiving Eve edition of the Pelicans podcast presented by SeatGeek. I'm Daniel and alongside my co-host Jim Eikenhofer from Pelicans.com as we're able to finally talk about the trade that took place between four teams, the Pelicans, the Nuggets, the Bucks, and the Oklahoma City Thunder. It was announced yesterday that the four teams have come to an agreement with the Pelicans acquiring Eric Bledsoe from Milwaukee and Stephen Adams from the Oklahoma City Thunder as well as two future first-round picks from Milwaukee. And the right to swap two additional future first round picks with the Bucs. Of course, that means, though, that Drew Holiday is now a member of the Milwaukee Bucks. And we wish Drew all the best as he was a great player on and a great person off the court. And we'll certainly miss him here in New Orleans. Also, the draft rights to Sam Merrill, the 60th pick in this year's draft, will also go to Milwaukee. Denver gets the draft rights to RJ Hampton, who is the 24th overall pick in this year's draft. And Oklahoma City has acquired more future first round picks. This one. From Denver, they'll get George Hill from Milwaukee. And from the Pelicans, they'll get Silent Cheatham, Josh Gray, Darius Miller, and Ken Rich Williams, plus two second round picks from the Pelicans, which comes from the Washington Wizards and the Charlotte Hornets. Jim, I hope you wrote all that down. Were you able to get that laundry list of this four team trade? My goodness.
1: I'm glad there won't be a test on this because yeah. I think that would be in big trouble. I tried to pay as close attention as I could, but to be honest with you, if you had to, if I had to recite the all of the details, I would probably be in and in, uh, in, in have some serious difficulty. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to get to know a little
0: bit more about Stephen Adams and Eric Bledsoe from two writers from The Athletic, both named Eric. And so one Eric, Eric name, we'll talk about Eric Bledsoe. He covers the Milwaukee Bucks for The Athletic. And Eric Horn from Oklahoma City covers the Thunder for The Athletic as well. He'll give us some insight on Stephen Adams. But first, Jim, I want your insight on the trade. One it, it helps as Steven Adams already signed an extension with the Pelicans, So he, his contract was supposed to expire after this upcoming season. But now the Pelicans have locked him in long-term. So not only do you get a big man in Steven Adams, but you get him for more than just one year. And I, I thought the Pelicans did a pretty good job of getting some, some veteran pieces and also getting some assets in this trade.
1: You said it. General, the general theme for me is that if you look at some of the major uh, aspects of this trade – Um, Oklahoma City is definitely in future mode right now Milwaukee is certainly in win now mode as far as they want to do as much as they can to put themselves in position to win a championship or compete for one immediately next season Um, I think what New Orleans did was really they accomplished something in both categories as far as they added two guys that have been starters on playoff teams for the last bunch of years but they also acquired a bunch of first round picks that are going to be coming in the future. So they were able to really address both of those avenues. And so I think that was the, the part of the trade that, and it's not just me saying this, it's many people nationally that have weighed in and done their draft grade articles have given the Pelicans good marks because they were able to, to do something, you know, constructive in both areas. So, um, I mean, the draft picks are something that we're going to address and, will come into play a lot more obviously down the road in, in future years, but I'm uh, I'm excited to see the impact that Adams and Bledsoe can have as far as guys that have been on really good teams. And it's not like they've been the, the guy at the end of the bench, they've been starters and players who have been very vital to what the thunder and the bucks have done in the, over, over the last few years.
0: Before we get to um, Eric Bledsoe, we'll talk about Steven Adams later on with Eric Horn, and then we'll follow up with that interview afterwards, some insight. But Eric Bledsoe, I think the key is that we've kind of touched on when we've been texting back and forth about this deal is, you know, defense is going to be key for the Pelicans this year under head coach Stan Van Gundy. And you, use, you lose a great defender in Drew Holiday, but the caveat is is you gain someone in Eric Bledsoe that is not too shabby on the defensive end himself with, with two all-defensive team nods. Um, so I think the good news about this trade is you, you lose a big piece in Drew Holiday, but you gain a big piece defensively as well in Eric Bledsoe.
1: Yeah, he's been, as you said, he's been all defense the last couple of years. You, you figure um, that you have a huge drop off if when you lose Drew Holiday, but that's not the case when you bring in Eric Bledsoe. I mean, clearly this might be the number one thing on the list in terms of what the Pelicans need to improve is they need to be better at the defensive end. That's something that Stan Van Gundy's already mentioned multiple times in the brief span that he's been in this, in his position as head coach and the minimal number of press conferences he's had so far. I think he's talked about it every time. So um, it's, it, that's something that's evident that they're not going to be able to improve their chances of making the playoffs or be part of that play in game at the very least, unless they get better defensively. I think last season, if they had even been middle of the pack, if they even been maybe 15th they probably would have made the playoffs but as it was they were 21st and that was a very damaging part of the game especially in the bubble when they had a couple performances that we would happily uh like to forget as soon as possible that really were games they had to win and they gave up 130 plus points and that was really what what did them in as far as their chances to to stay mathematically alive last season
0: well i forgot about the bubble until you brought it up so i appreciate that on this wednesday (laughs) So right now Let's get to uh, our two interviews. We'll start with Eric Name, who covers the Milwaukee Bucks for the the Athletic in Wisconsin. Eric, I appreciate the time. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, Absolutely. So now that this trade finally is official for all of us to talk about, Um, before we get into the nitty gritty on Eric Bledsoe, just give me an overall, I guess, uh, summary of Eric Bledsoe and how he was in Milwaukee.
2: Yeah, I mean, the that was kind of one of the first big moves that the Bucks made under their new general manager, John Horst. He went out, traded for Bledsoe three years back. Uh, it was the final year of Jason Kidd's time in Milwaukee. He, I mean, he really made pretty much an instant impact where he stepped in and he was really one of the big three for the Bucs with Middleton and Giannis. And then... Uh, Things just didn't end up going well for him in the postseason. There was a bunch of times where he had a great regular season, and then the postseason just kind of didn't play up to his typical level, didn't shoot up to his typical level. Uh, but, I mean, as far as Bledsoe goes, it's it's funny that Drew Holiday is the guy that comes from Milwaukee because the assumption was if the Bucks are going to get a new point guard, he is for sure going to be worse defensively than Eric Bledsoe. <laughs> Like, there, there's no way you're going to get someone as good defensively. And Drew Holiday's is literally maybe the only point guard in the league where it's like, okay, yeah, he's better than Bledsoe defensively. But that's how good of a defender you're talking about. You're talking about all defense the last two years. He really can be that guy that puts a ton of pressure on the point of attack. He's the guy that really makes it tough on point guards. And every single time you brought up Bledsoe to Mike Budenholzer, he always said we are at our best when Bled is at his best. And and really what that means is if he's upping somebody defensively, he he's getting out on the run, he's getting easy buckets, that's when the Bucs were really at their best. So he is definitely a guy that I think can really just make things tough defensively. And then offensively, he, he didn't really get to the rack. So uh, I think you're getting uh, somebody that is really going to be good to push the tempo, really good defensively. And, and I think that can really help out some of that young core that you guys have in New Orleans.
0: That's a perfect segue. Before I get to Jim, I wanted to talk about the young core, especially at the guard position, because you do have Lonzo Ball. Nikhil Alexander-Walker is entering his second year and now the new rookie point guard and Kyra Lewis Jr. Don't know exactly how they're all going to play with one another, but how does a guy like Bledsoe um, help the Pelicans' young core as far as just learning from him?
2: Uh, before Lewis moved up in the draft, that was somebody – I was kind of thinking about the Bucs. When they had, like, the 20th pick, I was like, you know, maybe he's there for them, and the reason I thought so was – he could go to the Eric Bledsoe school of rear contests where Bledsoe is just so good getting over ball screens. He's so good at contesting shots. He's just so good at all that stuff. And I think before he got to Milwaukee, he wasn't seen as someone that could really help out mentoring someone. He wasn't seen as someone that people thought is a a strong leader, but I just remember from the moment Dante DiVincenzo got to Milwaukee, he was like, blood's my guy like and I just remembered there was a game his first month as a pro he has this big game in Boston it's a TNT game and Bledsoe's the one hyping him up Bledsoe's the one kind of showing him the way and I, honestly I, it kind of took me by surprise like I just didn't know that Bledsoe kind of had those leadership capabilities in him that mentorship and he really took it serious where he was watching film with Dante he was telling Dante you know hey here's if the ball screen's coming this way try to move your body this way try to move around it this way so I I thought I was kind of surprised by that so I honestly think he's going to be a really good fit with those young guys because I think there's just so much that he does instinctually that if he can impart some of that wisdom he can really help a lot of those young guys figure out how to play NBA level defense.
1: Eric Daniel alluded to this as far as there's a really interesting combination now of guards on the new Orleans roster. And honestly, we we don't know yet in terms of how it's all going to fit together and who's going to play where Um, we're going to wait for more comments. I think from the front office before we have a little bit of a sharper picture on that. But one of the things I wanted to ask you from your experience of covering him the last couple of years is, and this applies, I think is going to be very important here is, what did you see from him as far as playing on the ball and off the ball? Is, is, is he a guy that can really do either either one? Because it seems like that's possible that they're going to ask of him to to do both a lot here with the combination of other guys on the team. You know, I think he prefers to be on the ball. Um, you know,
2: just kind of thinking about when Mike Boonholzer first came, I remember talking to Eric a lot about how you know, I'm going to be in the corners more. I'm going to get more catch and shoot threes. And that's something that I really need to work on. And they tried that for the first year and Bledsoe didn't shoot very well on catch and shoot threes. And I don't think he ever really got comfortable. And then I think in kind of the second season with Bud, you saw him be on the ball a little bit more. I just think that's a role that he's more comfortable, but where I think he might have a chance to do some more is if he can cut I think he's a really underrated cutter. I think he has a really good feel for the game that if you can get him to do a little bit more of that rather than standing in the corner waiting for, you know, a shot, I think that kind of unleashes some of the off-ball capabilities that he has. And in Milwaukee, so much is based around Giannis is going to go. And then we got the four squares all over the floor that you're going to stand in one of those four squares and make the playmaking really easy for him. If you ask Bledsoe to cut off of that, I think that's really where you can kind of unleash his potential as an off ball player.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think Milwaukee's offense the last few years and really for most of the time that Giannis has been there and after he's emerged as one of the best players in the league is pretty unique that you have a forward that handles the ball as much as he does. And I know that Bledsoe, you know, spot-up shooting has never been one of his biggest strengths. Um, I mean, you could probably say the same thing for Drew Holiday in terms of, you know, that's one of the, one of the areas of his game where he's been kind of average or maybe a little bit below average. But um, w- one of the things I wanted to ask you about, too, is I'm not sure how much you, you followed his career the time that he was in Phoenix before he came to Milwaukee. But one of the things I did notice that w- when, when he went to Milwaukee, that even though um, he's not a great outside shooter spot-up shooter, his efficiency seemed to go way up in terms of, I know when he was in Phoenix, they asked him to do a ton. They didn't have a ton of talent there in those years and that team really struggled, but um, it does seem like the last few years that his, for example, his field goal percentage has been very good. He seems like he's, you know, not one of those guys that has too many games where he's, you know, four for 14 or that kind of thing. It just, what, what did, what did you see as far as his, his efficiency on offense the last few years? I think the
2: big thing with Bud is if you are, if you're not Giannis, you know, the and I mean, even for Giannis, no matter what, whoever you are on the team, you're shooting threes and you're getting to the rim. That's it. And Hmm. year one, that was like a real problem for a guy like Chris Middleton, who's great in the mid range. So Bud in year two is like, okay, you can have your mid range back. Like, that's fine. You're very good at it. So I'm gonna let you do it. But for Bledsoe, it was get to the rim or take a three. And that can really obviously help kind of, drawing out all of the efficiency where he's not taking a bunch of mid-range shots and I think that was a big thing in Phoenix was that it was just like you're the man you got to do whatever you can so if that means a contested mid-ranger take it if that means a contested three take it like he was only taking good shots here in Milwaukee where it was threes and getting to the rim and I think one of the big things I've always kind of been surprised with is with as many problems as Bledsoe has had with his knees in the past, because he does obviously have a pretty strenuous injury history, he still gets to the rim like crazy. And he just is able to finish there. He's really creative around the rim and he's so strong. I think Pat Honenten called him uh, just a big muscle. Like his whole body is just a big muscle. Like that is just a human muscle right there. That's Mm -hmm. it. And you look at Bledsoe and he's got those those broad shoulders and he can just finish through people. And, you know, I think that's a big thing for him is like as long as the athleticism and the strength stays there, he's always going to be able to finish at the rim. And then if you can ask him, hey, let's get you shooting threes instead of pull up mid-rangers, like you're going to see that efficiency still stay where it needs to be.
1: Yeah, he's always to me struck me as somebody who's kind of built like a wrestler or almost like a football player. He he's definitely kind of like a bowling ball in that. He's definitely one of the strongest guards. I mean, six, one, but just really powerful. And, and as you said, he, you know, that's one of the reasons why he gets to the basket um, really well. One of the things that you said earlier was uh, struck me really interesting because you talked about how, when um, the bucks were in the position where they, where you, you anticipated maybe that Bledsoe would be exiting that they would take a huge step backwards defensively, but obviously with Drew Holiday, you have an all defensive player. It's funny because from I think on the opposite side of the coin, I think if you're in New Orleans, you say when Drew Holiday leaves, if he get if he does get traded, you're going to take a massive downgrade defensively. But that's actually not the case, and I know a lot of people here were upset with this, but um, that Holiday didn't make one of the all defensive teams. But it's funny that you bring in a guy that that was on one of the all defensive teams. And Drew Holiday wasn't last season, so it's it's not like it's a major step backwards defensively between those two guys, which I think is obviously a plus for the Pelicans that you didn't fall off a cliff as far as bringing in a poor defensive player and losing Drew Holiday. But I guess one of the what I wanted to ask you about his defense is what do you think is behind what's made him such a good defensive player? The fact that he's been Bledsoe's been on all defense the last two years in a row I think for a while a while people have thought of him as as being somebody that was pretty tough in that it's honestly uh, I think it's one of my favorite articles I've ever written at The Athletic I
2: kind of cornered Bledsoe one day after a shoot around and I was just like tell me how you get through this screen because the thing that's most impressive about Eric Bledsoe is that if you try to set a ball screen on him if you try to put in the pick and roll you're not going to touch him as a screener. I don't know. I I really don't, I still don't understand how he does it, even though he watched film with me and broke down exactly where he goes. Uh, But he, you just don't touch him. I, I don't know how he avoids screens, but he's so strong. He's so quick. His hips are so good that he can just get around any screen that you try to set. And I think that's been the big thing. And it's really funny because Mike Boonholzer is so detail oriented defensively that everybody has to do exactly what he wants. You have to play pick and rolls this way. You have to, you know, hedge guys a certain way. And he's like, I don't really have any control over Eric. Like I I just tell him to do what he does because what he does is so good that it, it wouldn't be something I would teach. It wouldn't be the way that I would tell him to do it, but he's so good that I just let him do it. So every time I would ask Bud a question about, Hey, you know, what'd you think about Eric doing this? He's like, he just kind of did his, he just did his thing. And I think the biggest example of that is the defense that you saw teams start to play against James Harden, where you just play on his left hand, force him to the right, force him into the middle. Bledsoe freestyled that. Like the Bucks practice it, like practiced in shoot around. They went through how they were going to guard it. And then Bledsoe did a totally exaggerated version. He just said, you know what? I'm going to literally stand behind Harden. I'm going to force him into the mid-range. I'm going to force him off his left hand. And this is how we're going to how we're gonna defend him. And the Bucs had a huge success with it uh, over the last two years. But that was just Bledsoe freestyling. Like that was, Bud did not say, please exaggerate this and do this thing. Bledsoe was just like, that's, I knew how to defend him. Like I knew that that's what he, he wanted to get to the step back. He wanted to get to the three. So I just forced him in the middle and it's, it's kind of like defensive savant type stuff where it's just like, nobody else is going to think of this. No one else is going to do it like this, but he's so talented and his his instincts are so good that he just comes up with stuff on the fly and he's, he's able to
1: shut people down. That's interesting. I mean, we obviously are extremely familiar with James Harden here of all the times that they face him. Don't know what's going to happen in the future, but but I think that I would look forward to that as seeing as far as how Bledsoe would, would go forward against James Harden when he's matched up against him. Um, last thing before I go back to Daniel, are there any under, underrated aspects of, of Bledsoe's game that we might not know? I know he's a really good free throw shooter. He's a good rebounder. What are some of the things that, that you uh, would say are things that maybe people haven't talked about that much that are interesting about what he brings to a team?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think for me, it's kind of the leadership and I think it was, it was tough for him to play in Phoenix for as long as he did. Like I I think he started in a good system when he was with the Clippers and he was behind, uh, you know, some strong players there. And then he goes to Phoenix and it's, Hey, you're the man, you got to figure this all out. And I I think that was kind of, I think it was tough on blood. Like it's nothing that he would ever admit, but I, I do think it was really tough on him to try to figure out how to do that at a pretty young age, pretty early in his career and I think that kind of hurt his, I guess, just kind of his perception of from people around the league where it was like, oh, you know, maybe this guy doesn't really care. Maybe he's not like a great leader. And I just thought when he got to Milwaukee, he he really stepped up in that regard. He really, you know, kind of, He was the guy that under, even under Jason Kidd he had started doing it. And then under bud, it was always, Hey, if this defense can be great, it's going to be because of Bled. like blood, you have to set the tone. And, and I just thought he was so willing to do it. And there's a selflessness to that, right? Like if, if you're the guy that's taking the third most shots, you might not be as inclined to say, yep, I'm going to bring it every night defensively. Like I'm going to take 10 shots tonight, but I'm going to bring it. That can be tough sometimes. And, And I just thought he handled it so well. And then I thought he really did a nice job working with some of the younger guys, Dante DiVincenzo, especially. But like, I, I thought that to me is something that typically doesn't get talked about with Eric Bledsoe.
0: Man, some great insight there on Eric Bledsoe, the newest, newest member of the New Orleans Pelicans from Eric Knight. name. Um, you can follow him on Twitter at Eric underscore name, who covers the Milwaukee Bucks for the athletic. Eric, just to give you a heads up, you're getting a great individual and in Drew Holiday, both on and off the court. You're really going to enjoy talking to him when you get the opportunity but we thank you for the opportunity to to let us get to know Eric Gletzo a little better. And, and happy Thanksgiving. We appreciate you coming on. Same for you guys. Thanks for having me. All right. From one Eric to the other, let's go to Eric Horn, who covers the Oklahoma City Thunder for the Athletic, as he'll kind of fill us in on what to expect from the newest center for the New Orleans Pelicans. And that is Steven Adams. Eric, how are you? I'm great. How are you guys doing? We're good. We're good. We really appreciate you coming on, and we do want to know about Stephen Adams, the newest member of the New Orleans Pelicans. So, before I send it over to Jim, what, what should fans expect from Stephen Adams' arrival here in New Orleans?
3: Uh, a lot of good sound bites. Uh, he's a he's he's a great soundbite. He's got a light sense of humor to him. Um, he doesn't take the stuff too seriously with the media, but at the same time, he's really informative. Um, he's a guy that you know I learned a lot from just covering him for five years.
1: Have, have kind of talked about a lot of in the last few days of course about Steven Adams and coming to New Orleans um, what do you think are some of the things that he's going to like about the this as far as his personality and, and some of his traits
3: well um, you know he's a guy who loves to eat and I've heard some great Steven Adams like eating stories so he should fit right in with like the New Orleans culture in that regard uh, he actually had an ad campaign and in Oklahoma where he was like promoting like the Oklahoma Beef Association or something where he was doing like ads about steaks and cows and stuff and encouraging people to eat beef. So, you know, somebody in New Orleans is going to catch on to that really quickly and get this guy some food because he's seven feet, you know, he's 260-something pounds and he can just crush food, man. Um, you know, the culture, uh, the laissez-faire kind of attitude that New Orleans brings to everything, the, the, the party kind of mode, I think Steven will fit right into that. But at the same time, he's a professional. Uh, he likes to have fun. But, you know, when he steps on the court, he's all about winning, man. He, he'll do anything he has to do to, to help the team win. And it sounds cliche, but if you just look at his record and look at his Thunder's record since he's been there, they've always been a good defensive team. They've never been bottom half of the league defensively. Um, you know what you're getting when Steven Adams steps on the court. You're getting a good defender, a smart defender, a guy who's going to put his body on the line. And a guy who's going to make his team better.
1: What do you foresee as, as far as his pairing with Zion Williamson in the front court? Obviously, it's a pretty unique combination of the size that those two guys have and just some of the physical ability that they have.
3: Yeah, you know, it, it's going to be weird at first because you'd ideally want somebody who could space the floor next to Zion. Um, but I think that one thing that can work in his advantage is because Zion a good ball handler and, you know, him and Steven Adams being in a pick and roll combination, I think can be, you know, something that can work because Adams is such a great screen setter. And, you know, he basically just erases, you know, the guy that's guarding on ball when he sets screen and Dion's going to have a free run at the rim, or he's going to have a defender that's, you know, either, you know, too tight in terms of pick and roll to where he can, he can get, buy him and, and get a foul, or it's going to be a defender that's, you know, dropped into the paint to where he can get some uh, – he can get kind of a, you know, a head start in terms of, like, running downhill. So, so Stephen Adams is such a good screen setter, I think it's going to free up a lot of space for Zion in terms of, um, you know, the pick-and-roll combination. But he's not the guy that's a high flyer that he used to be in terms of his athleticism. But, you know, he can still every now and then go get a lob. Uh, He's a great offensive rebounder, so he'll be able to follow up on anything that anybody who's a ball handler, you know, misses, Uh, he's going to buy extra possessions for, for the Pelicans. And uh, I think that there's value in that.
1: People have talked a lot the last few years about um, how the traditional center and the kind of guy, the kind of player that has the frame that Steven Adams has has, has been kind of phased out of the league. Um, but how, how, much of a, how much of an advantage do you think he has in terms of just his frame? And one thing I've noticed in the head-to-head games against New Orleans is that he's been able to just kind of overwhelm people with how strong he is and, the, and that kind of thing. So, I mean, how much of a, of a factor is that in terms of his ability to, to be a successful player despite, you know, people talk a lot about how the trend of the game is kind of going going toward more like smaller lineups and away from the guys that like to do a lot of stuff right around the basket?
3: Yeah, no, he's perfect. He's perfect for that in terms of physicality, and you know, just adding some of that aggressiveness to the to the Pelicans lineup, I think is going to do wonders for them. Um, like I said, he buys extra possessions on the offensive end. He's a guy who has a great offensive rebounding rate. He's always one of the top guys in the league in that regard. Um, one of the things he really does that's impressive is, you know, in transition, he seals off big guy, uh, He seals off small guys really well. And he's not necessarily a guy who, you know, is going to wow you in transition every time. But when you do kind of get a head start, um, if you've got a guy like Steven Adams that can, you know, maybe get a mismatch to get a guard in transition, he does a great job of using his body to seal people off. I think that Lonzo Ball is going to take advantage of that, uh, hitting him with hit-ahead passes uh, on the fast break. And that's just easy buckets, and that's just less running for some of the guys on your team. So I think that they'll use him in that regard. Um, he, he's so technically sound in terms of the way that he seals the he seals defenders uh, that I think that, you know, that'll be a big advantage for the Pelicans too. Um, they can learn a lot from him on the offensive end in terms of just the way he uses his body. And I'm sure that, you know, Stan Van Gundy is going to be excited to get him paired up with Jackson Hayes and those guys battling every day in practice. I think it's going to make Jackson Hayes a better player just by osmosis because – I don't know if you'll come up against a more physical guy in practice than Steven Adams.
0: Yeah, that was going to be my next question. You took it right from me about how much Jackson Hayes is going to benefit uh, from having Steven Adams. So I appreciate that insight. I think it's going to be great for him and some of the young guys to learn from such a great center like Steven Adams. That's Eric Horn, who covers the Oklahoma City Thunder for the Athletic. Eric, I appreciate the insight on Steven Adams, and, and have a great Thanksgiving. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Anytime. So great insight from two Eric's, Eric name from the athletic in Wisconsin, and Eric Horn from the athletic in Oklahoma cities. We learned more about Eric Bledsoe and Stephen Adams, but Jim, before we end the show, going back to Stephen Adams, and he did take the question right away from me with his answer. I think he's Jackson Hayes is going to benefit the most out of having Stephen Adams just from, you know, the Stephen Adams is such a, you know, a, a guy that can wreak havoc on, on offensive players. And the fact that he's so tough and physical, but also a student of the game, I think that's gonna, you know, do wonders for for Jackson Hayes as he makes tries to make the leap from year one to year two.
1: I've noticed over the last few years of watching games head to head, Pelicans versus Thunder, especially the games in Oklahoma City where we actually get to sit right on the court. There's only four or five places in the league left where they let media people in my job sit that close. Um, he not only is extremely strong; Stephen Adams might be the strongest player in the NBA. He's definitely up there. He's as one of them, but he does a really good job of, of knowing positioning. There's been times where it seems like he's so much stronger than everyone else on the court that he's able to push whoever's trying to box him out on the Pelicans right underneath the basket and be able to grab offensive rebounds. I saw a stat that he, Steven Adams has far more offensive rebounds off missed free throws than any other player in the league over the last few years. And I think some of that is just, just knowing some of the tricks of the trade, some of the little pointers that he's picked up over the years, as far as how to use his body. And I think those are things that will, could help Jackson Hayes. Obviously Jackson Hayes is going to continue to put, put on weight and muscle and he's definitely focused and devoted to that task. But in the meantime, I think some of the, some of the different uh, things that he can learn from Steven Adams will definitely help him. Uh, Jackson Hayes obviously has to get better rebounding. That's one area that he sometimes is very inconsistent. in. so, so you're right. I think that, you know, the it's it's only going to benefit Jackson Hayes for him to be able to uh, to learn from Stephen Adams and and I'm sure pick up some different different things that will help him on the court, especially right around the basket.
0: And I'm sure we'll learn more about Stephen Adams in the next couple of weeks, but um, this was a good good way to kind of introduce uh, Pelicans fans to Eric Bledsoe and Stephen Adams as we look forward to the, the start of the season, which is just around the corner. Uh, we will have another podcast for you on Thanksgiving tomorrow, as Jim and I. We're able to sit down with the newest member of the New Orleans Pelicans from the draft. That is Kyra Lewis, Jr., as you'll wear number 13, as you'll hear tomorrow. And we are very uh, grateful to have him on and very grateful for you, the listeners, um, that you were able to join us this week. So, yeah, Kyra Lewis, Jr. tomorrow. And then we'll uh, be back with you next week for more Pelicans coverage on maybe some new assignings and a possible extension as well for a certain player on the new orleans pelicans i hope you all have a great thanksgiving tomorrow we'll talk to you then um but until tomorrow i'm daniel salerson for jim eikenhoffer thanks for listening to the pelicans podcast presented by siki